book of Acts. We departed last week just for uh, a teaching out of Luke. I wanted the, the church that was away to continue in the book of Acts with us. I'll read 19 to 26, and I will probably just teach out of verse 26 tonight. Now they were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen. I'm sorry. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who, on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. He rejoiced. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word like always, God. But if you're not breathing upon the word, if you're not opening up our minds and hearts to understand the word, it will lie futile at our conscience and our mind, Father God. So we ask you, Father God, to breathe upon the text. Remove me, the servant, and let us see somehow, even only dimly in a mirror, the magnificent work of grace that was taking place in this church 2,000 years ago, Father God, amongst the non-Jewish people, Father God. Those who were so alienated from the life of God in this world without hope and without God, but yet you revealed yourself to those who did not even ask, Father God. For this is the amazing grace of God. Let us understand what was taking place under the ministry of Saul and under the ministry of Barnabas. We ask this in Christ's precious name. Amen. Forgive me as my eyes are kind of dry. Terry, can I have some of that water, please? As I've been preaching out of this text, I must say, very excited. Love the text. I can preach it extemporaneous. I don't really need notes. As I've shared, because it really lives in me. I just, I just, this is the kind of stuff I think about all week, all day, throughout the day, just making my mental notes. And I can't wait to open up the scriptures to expound on what I'm seeing and what it was. God was giving me great joy in my heart throughout the whole week. And this is one of those. This is one of those texts. This is one of those sermons where it just, it, it gets me excited. I mean, you're looking at a very excited man. You might not know that. Right? Very excited. I was excited all week. I couldn't wait to teach and to preach on the text. But uh, this is like the fourth sermon and just chapter 11 alone. Uh, if you haven't heard any of the previous ones, I encourage you to go online, listen to them. But we're going to see something magnificent taking place in this metropolis called Antioch. It was it had a little Jewish sect to it. It was only probably about three hundred thousand people, major metropolis. Some of the facts I went over already, but there was a small population of Jews that did receive Christ, but they weren't going to the non Jewish residents. 
until a couple of street preachers with no name and no caliber and no rank took it upon themselves not just to go to the Jew, but also go to the Gentile and bring to them the Lord Jesus Christ. And the hand of the Lord was on this unconventional work. It was unordinary. It wasn't right to go. It was first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. But the Gentiles were receiving it by people we don't even know who did no names. But a church broke out, a revival broke out, the Spirit of God fell and God was doing a great work and, and the church of Jerusalem heard about this work and they, were, they weren't sure, could this be real? Who, who started this work? What apostle went to Antioch? What evangelist went to Antioch? Who's up there? Who's the missionary that started this work? And they sent to investigate this strange fire that was taking place and when they got there, the first thing Barnabas saw was an outpouring of the grace of God amongst Gentiles who had nothing to do with Jehovah at all. They bypassed Moses and they went right to Christ. It's a magnificent work and I've been speaking about this for weeks now. And if you want to, please go online, listen to it. And and so we're here into this text again. I want to continue to finish because Barnabas went to this place and he saw this great work of God. But guess what? It was just the beginning work. And it it was not meant to be left in that state. Anybody know who Bobby Stewart is? Bobby Stewart. You probably know who he is when I get into it. He was a juvenile detention center counselor and former boxer who worked at a school for boys in John, uh, Johnstown, New York. And it was there in 1979. A young boy of 13 years old came in because at that age of 13, he was already arrested 38 times. The boy's mother never encouraged him. Father left him when he was still in the womb. Never spoke kindly to him. The mother never tried to help him. No one ever tried to help him. His mother had given up on the young man of 13. But Bobby Stewart saw something in this young man others missed. This man was a natural fighter. His name is Mike Tyson. But Stewart knew in just a few months he needed help that he needed more professional guidance that he himself had. And he called a man called Customato, who brought a man named Kevin Rooney. The rest is absolute history. You see what the world and even the mother, or what the world and the mother saw was only another street kid who was going to end up in a life of crime. Robert Stewart saw a world heavyweight champ who needed teaching, guidance, and mentorship. That's our story. Barnabas went to a church. The truth of the matter is, it was not polished whatsoever. They were Gentiles. They, they ate like Gentiles. They smelled like Gentiles. They dressed like Gentiles. They, they spoke like Gentiles. Understand something. Coming from the church of Jerusalem, a polished church of teachers and prophets and apostles with a long lineage of, 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 of being close to God, to go up into this new work of God was a strange thing. It looked nothing like the church of Jerusalem. And when Barnabas went there, he was a good man, filled with faith in the Holy Spirit. The last thing this church needed is what William Barclay said, was a man with a rigid mind who made the law of Moses God and was shackled by its rules and regulations. The last thing this church was needed, a man that was going to come and preach to them the law. Barnabas was a man full of grace and he could enter into this 
foreign culture, this foreign world, and, ex- and e- examine the work of grace being done. But simultaneously, he knew they were infants in Christ. He knew they needed mentorship. He saw the potential. Like Robert Stewart saw the potential in that young man who everybody else just saw a criminal at 13. Somebody else could have walked into this church and said, what do you mean, Jesus? They're smoking cigarettes outside. Come on. Look at the girls aren't dressed modest. Come on. I heard them cursing. And you see, that's what the rigid mind does. It sees only what negative, what needs to be changed. They can't see the grace of God. See, Barnabas sweat. Then guess what? They were probably still smoking. And they were probably still cussing. And who knows what else they were doing. But guess what? God was amongst them, saving them, and changing them. Barnabas was a good man, filled with faith in the Holy Spirit. He saw the potential. He saw the hand of God there. He knew that there were a lot of cleaning up needed to be done in this place. But God was there. God was doing something. And Barnabas, being a good man and a good leader, recognized they needed mentorship, they needed teaching, and they needed leadership. And he went to Tarsus to look for a man named Saul, whom he already met. This is 10 years since chapter 9, at least 8, maybe 9, 10 years. We don't know if Barnabas has spoken to Paul in almost 8 or 9 or 10 years, but he knew Paul was called a Gentile, an apostle to the Gentile. He knew Paul was doing a great work amongst the pagans up in his area in Tarsus, that southern modern Turkey today. And he went up there and he hunted this man down, probably two or three days to get there. He got there and he explained to Paul there's a work of grace going on, but they're infants in Christ. They need to be taught. It's a beautiful story. It's he knew he couldn't do it alone. It's a testament to this this man's genuine heart for others. He didn't try to grandstand and, and get the glory. It wasn't about Barnabas. It wasn't about him being the the leader of the new great work. You know, the leader of the church of 10,000, you know. My church is 200,000. No, Barnabas could have cared less. He didn't want the glory. He didn't want the name. He went and searched for a man he knew was better than him to fulfill the spot that was needed. And that's what he did. He searched for this man. And finding him... Explain to them the great grace of God's work at Antioch. And that they need a leadership. This is where our story begins tonight. In verse 26 it says, For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. That is my text, that's my line, that's my verse. I'll be teaching out of tonight. For a whole year they met with the church and toward a great many people. The verse is so telling first that God was saved and have a revival in Antioch amongst the non-Jewish without any real leadership, any apostolic oversight, just a message of Jesus on the lips of street preachers. That's all they want. No name, no rank, no nothing. Who risked their life and their reputations for the sake of the glory of Christ and the souls of lost men. That's all they were concerned about. They don't want their name in lights. 
They didn't care about being persecuted. They went beyond the limitations of other preachers. They bring the gospel where the gospel never went before. And guess who showed up? God showed up. But it's also telling that God is a God of order. And the real good shepherd would never leave this grassroots movement in its infancy. You don't think God knew they needed leadership? You don't think God knew they needed mentorship? You don't think God knew they needed apostolic oversight? Of course they did. Of course God knows that. But here's the great thing. God just sent revival fire. People got saved. The church came together. And I've seen churches like this. I've been sharing over the month how there's a church out in Arizona. These people, I I was convicted under my my own self-righteousness as the Holy Spirit. I was judging a man. Because he was talking about Christ, a real rapper, going into the inner city, bringing Christ where nobody else went. No other church, they went to their limits. They didn't go into the inner city of South Phoenix. But God raised up a whole bunch of people, street people, still cussing, still dressed the old way, still smoking, tattooed all over, earrings all over, big ears. Everything, body piercing, everything. And then he started singing about Christ. And I sat in my chair and had to repent with tears in my eyes for judging him. You see, God raised up people to go where the other church people would not go. That's what God did here. He raised up preachers to go where others would not go. That's why our text says they spoke only to the Jews. Then it says, but... God always has a but. But God raised up people and sent them there. And God poured out grace and they got saved. And they were happily saved. But guess what? They didn't know anything. Think about when you got saved. When I got saved, I knew nothing. I was just happy with God. I had loved the songs. I read my Bible. I didn't understand the word. But praise the Lord. Didn't care. What did you read today? I read Ephesians. What I had no idea. But I read it. And happy I went off to work. (laughs) This, so it is here, this church is ready to explode. It's ready to receive from God manna from heaven. It needs teaching and it needs it desperately. They have no idea what's been taking place. It's just like when we got saved, I had no idea. What transformed? What what was taking place that I'd entered into redemptive history? That my name was written in the Lamb's book of life? That I was chosen before the foundations of the world? I had no idea of the mystery of the faith. This church has no idea of the mystery of the faith. They're saved, gloriously saved. And they're loving and they're loving God and they're telling others the church is growing. But up until this point, the church is still very simple. Effective, but simple. They're still in kindergarten. They're mere infants in Christ. That's all they are. Barnabas saw that. They were innocent. Beautifully innocent. Like a baby who's just beginning to walk. A baby who's just beginning to go and God and say a name. And they're adorable. Oh, but God, they're so vulnerable. We see our little ones running around adorable. Joy. They poop and we laugh. 
change a diaper, and it's like a cute thing. Not for me, not, not for the father today. He had to look at it, but uh, from the distance, I was oh, well, how cute that is. Why don't you come over and help? Forget about it. But the point is this, they're still mere infants. They're vulnerable to everything Satan can throw at them and the world can throw at them. A hostile world. They need shepherds. They need not just pastors, they need teachers to expound on Christ. They're vulnerable, like all of us, in their own personal weaknesses, in their own personal blind spots, along with a hostile world that hates them. They don't know this yet. When that, that, this infancy is all coming to an end. Please hear me as a pastor. There's a time for infancy, joyful, blissful, innocent infancy. But I'm telling you now, God does not want to leave you in that position. Amen? Our minds need to be renewed. Something wonderful is going to happen. They're actually going to sit for a full year under the greatest mind ever to teach Christ. The school of Christ has just opened up in Antioch and the dean of Christ, the apostle Paul, was put in charge. The sheer joy their hearts must have had as Paul explained to them the mysteries of Christ. Could you imagine sitting under the Apostle Paul's ministry day in and day out for one year while this man expounded on the glories of Jesus Christ? No man was ever called to expound on the glories of Christ like Paul. Peter couldn't do it and John touched upon it, but it was really Paul who single-handedly elevated Christ to his proper place in the church. Single-handedly. I think about the two disciples on the road to Emmaus when Christ was explaining to them everything that was said in the Old Testament. And the only thing they could say is, did not our hearts burn within us when he explained the scriptures to us? This is a silent fact within the text, but it should not be missed. Luke is an historian. He's writing from an historian's perspective. He's giving you the big picture as the gospel is moving from Jerusalem into the outermost parts of the world. The book carries about 28 to 30 years of the first uh, 30 years of Christian history. But the minutia is there. And that's my job to get in there and see what was taking place and how this church was surely blessed. How they hungered and they thirsted for righteousness. It went something like this. You see the church in a metropolis like Antioch 300,000 years ago would have been filled with merchants. It would have been filled with day laborers. It would have been filled with textile workers. It would have been filled with slaves. It would have been filled with tinkers. It would have been had butchers. And it would have had this. And it would have had that. And all day long they would work in their mills. And they would slave in their house. And they would have been soldiers. They would have been slaves. And they would have been masters. And at the end of the day, guess where they all ran to? They all ran to hear about Christ. They all ran to be taught. They wanted to be explained who this wonderful Savior is. And they couldn't wait to hear the honey that dripped out of the mouth of the Apostle Paul as he expounded on them the scriptures. The sexually immoral came. The idolatry came. The murderer came. The adultery came. The thief, the greedy, the drunkard, the revilers, the swindlers. They all came after long, hard days of work. You see, they didn't have church in the day. They worked for 12 hours under the sun. 
They grab a sandwich, they grab something to eat, and they just run to sit at the feet of Paul and Barnabas and hear them expound on Christ. This wasn't Sunday church. This was seven days a week church. They didn't meet once in a while. They had a uh, they had a, an Orthodox service on Saturday. But understand something: when Paul taught, he taught every day. And some scriptures say that he taught late into the morning. And for a whole year, Paul expound to them from the scriptures who Christ was. A glorious, glorious time. His teaching method and how he conducted him and Barnabas over that year, we don't, we don't, we don't fully know. But one thing we do know, Paul had a systematic mind. Paul wasn't just all, I don't know what I'm going to teach today. He had a mind that compartmentalized. He taught on the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension, the glorious second coming of Christ. He broke it down. He pulled it out of the Old Testament. He pointed to the New Testament. He pointed to the new heavens and the new earth. He spoke about the resurrected body. He said what's sown into the ground is not raised. He knew about the resurrection body. He taught about the glorified body. He taught everything that was to be taught to this church for a solid year. His epistles give us amp content to his teaching. The work of Christ now as high priest and wonderful second coming and the new heaven and earth would have been consuming to them. There was nothing left undone that Paul did not teach. He taught about the Holy Spirit's role in the new birth. The Holy Spirit's role in our new lives. He would have taught how men, all men, have fallen short of the glory of God. He would have taught them how they were created in the image of God. Listen, they were pagans. They were filled with superstitions. And now they're hearing how all men were created in the image of God. But they fell into idolatry. And that all men started worshiping the the creation rather than the creator. They would have had an aha moment. That was me. I was an idolater. I worshiped the moon. I worshiped the sun. I worshiped the ground. I worshiped the fertility God. And now it's Jesus Christ. Jesus alone is God. That was brand new revelation. That was overwhelming to them. It's just like me and you when we get saved. When I came out of Catholicism. And and, and God had to strip me of all my pagan thoughts about who God was. And to grasp the real Jesus. Not a man-made Jesus, but the real Jesus of the Bible. That was held away from me. All my life, I never heard about the real Jesus of the Bible. That's the same thing going on with them. There were no atheists 2,000 years ago. Everybody worshipped the host of gods. And now they're being washed of all the superstition. And Christ is getting elevated in their minds. It's the renewing of their mind. They're being transformed by the renewing of their mind. They were worshiping God in spirit and in truth. And they were worshiping God from their feelings. And they were worshiping God from their emotions. And they loved it. But now their mind is alive with the teaching of Christ. Christ. 
He would have taught the supremacy of Christ as creator, redeemer. That there is no other gods. There's only one mediator between God and man, and that's the man Christ Jesus. They would have washed away of all their superstitions on how to please God when you're having a guilty, bad day. How to please and atone for your own sins through sacrifices because you're guilty. And just to rely on the mercy of God. And instead of feeling guilty, you praise God for the washing and regeneration of the Holy Spirit. You praise God that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. They would have praised God when they understood there is no, now, never, ever condemnation for those who are in Christ. Could you imagine how they experienced the teaching of Paul? They would have been equipped for those who snuck around saying you can believe in Jesus. But you've got to be circumcised. Oh, Jesus is okay. But you've got to follow Moses. You see, if you want to be a good Christian, you've got to become a Jew. Paul and Barnabas would have equipped them for these scoundrels that would roam around wherever Paul preached and then come in and preach heresy. Oh, we're all on the same side. Paul says, we're not all on the same side. It's Christ and Christ alone. Salvation is full and free. He was equipping them. He was preparing them. They're not vulnerable infants anymore. This is a glorious church. Listen to, listen to, after a year in this church, if we move forward to chapter 13, verse 1, listen to what chapter 13, verse 1 says. Now they were in church at Antioch. Listen to this church now. Now there's prophets in it. There's teachers in it. Barnabas, Simon, who's called Niger, Lucius of Hassan, Manin, a lifelong friend of Herod, the teacher of Consol. You see, this church that was mere infants a, later, a year later, sitting under the ministry of Paul and Barnabas as they expounded Christ, is no longer this little infant vulnerable church. They're a formidable church. They're sending out missionaries now. This church went where the church of Hebrews failed to go. In Hebrews we find this. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. He's rebuking the church. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's still a child. Barnabas found a church that was a child. Like Robert Stewart found a child who was a criminal, but he saw the potential in them. Or what Paul said to the Ephesian church, until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. Understand something. A year ago, this church was an infant church. They were innocent. They were gloriously saved, but they were immature. No more. This is a mature church. To the measure and stature and fullness of Christ. And why is that? So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. This church now, after sitting under the teaching of Paul for a year, after hearing Barnabas for a year, was one rock-solid missionary church known for its prophets and known for its teachers. When Barnabas went there, it was open to human cunning. When Barnabas went there, it was open to deceitful schemes. 
When Barnabas was there, they could have been carried about by every wind and wave of doctrine. You could have told them anything, they would have believed it. This church started as babes in Christ, but did not remain that way. This was a mature church. As chapter 13 teaches us, this was sent out, they were a missionary church. They were steadfast and faithful. You see, Barnabas was encouraging them to stay faithful to the Lord, to persevere in the faith. So Barnabas, after encouraging them, went out and found another teacher to come in and strengthen the church. You see, telling someone to hang on and be tough in Jesus is not good enough. See, we've got to teach people who Christ is. And that's how you stay. I mean, to anybody I know who's tossed to and fro, those Christians are tossed to and fro. Their emotions get the best of them. Uh, tall, dark, and handsome get the best of them. A pretty face gets the best of them. Uh, a promotion on a job gets the best of them. New friends get the best of them. Uh, anything, they, they, they like anything. They're not steadfast. They're, they're tossed around. They're, they're always in trouble. Because they're vulnerable. Children that don't grow up are always vulnerable. Spiritual children that don't grow up and don't sit under solid teaching and they're not exposed to the truth of Christ are always, always vulnerable. They're always falling into something. They're always getting caught up into something. I've seen it a Christian almost 30 years. I, I can't tell you that's all I see. Tossed to it. See, this church's mind was renewed. And they became everything that wanted them, that God wanted them to become. And that's put in one phrase. They were living sacrifices unto God. My desire was to capture the magnificence in that one verse that they were taught for a year. And that's what lives in us. That's what lives in this church. That's what lives in my heart. It lives in John's heart. It lives in our heart. That if you want to be elevated spiritually, if you want to grow spiritually, you have to be nurtured on solid Christ teaching day in and day out. Getting a 20-minute getting a sermonette on Sunday will never, ever prepare you for what lies ahead. You can never do it. Even one sermon, one sermon a week is solid. It's a great start to hear it and understand it. But then this, I'm moving into application now. All right? I'm passionate about it. There is no reason why we cannot daily, not every once in a while, daily feed ourselves with solid expositional expository teaching on who Christ is. All you have to do is have an iPhone with you. And anywhere throughout the day, you can pull up solid biblical teaching that's going to feed and nurture your soul and your mind. A church should be rock solid on the teaching of Christ. A church has to be, by design, a church that rightfully discerns the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, has a true understanding of grace, that it's only through grace you're saved, and that grace empowers to live. 
No law keeping could ever empower someone to live the Christian life. We don't point to do's and don'ts. We point to done. I don't tell you what you need to do or what you should do. You know that by now. John doesn't teach it. I don't teach it. We don't teach it. We preach to the finished work of Christ. Look at what Christ has done and get your strength from the finished work of Christ. That's why Hebrews can say, look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, who himself was tempted and tried. Look to him for your strength. Don't look to Moses. Don't look to the pastor. Don't look to the friend. Ask for prayer. But if you want to be strong, you got to look for Jesus. But understand something. That young church would have said, but who is he? They needed to be taught. And the more we hear rock-solid Exposition on the person and work of Christ, and the more my mind is renewed with understanding of who Christ is, the more I can see. I'm not looking at a little Jesus from a mile away. I see this big, robust Jesus. My eyes are fixed on him who are on the cross. I ask all of us, why in the world would anybody who calls himself a Christian, who lives in the 21st century, not saturate, not saturate our mind with daily teaching of Christ. Let me tell you what was absent in this church. You know what was absent in this church? What was the sermon about? I'm not too sure. What did Paul teach about? Don't know. Are you going to go to church and hear Paul today? Not really. Had a long day at work. Understand something. What's absent in this text is one excuse. But what I do see in the text, and I'm not missing it, they hungered to come here, Paul, for one solid year. To the point that now they're not immature children. They hungered to hear the truth. And something that brings me to tears over the course of my life in ministry is how the Word of God, so many Christians have a low view to the Word of God. As though, yeah, you know, if I read my dusty Bible, I read it. If I don't, I don't. And understand something. It's, let the love of God move our hearts to, to desire to read and to study ourselves. Start tomorrow. Start tonight. If you need help with it, ask John. Ask myself. We could turn you on to 10 different radio stations. We can give you great authors to read. There's nothing God won't do for you. No one here is beyond renewing of their mind. No one here is, is to the point of the, the simple that can't understand the word of God. The word of God is wise enough to make is strong enough to make the simple wise. I'm encouraging everybody here as a pastor as I go through this text. Feed yourself. Every day with the Word of God. Every day. Please speak to me and John about that. Barnabas was a man who can recognize a genuine work of God in someone's life. At the same time, he recognized a lot of blind spots, a lot of weaknesses, a lot of vulnerabilities. The culture was still there. The old man was still there. There was an exercise of the flesh. Understand something. They're no different than me and you. But he saw a genuine work of God. He stepped back 
and he slowly went to work on their behalf by introducing them to the real Jesus. You know, we need to take it upon ourselves to recognize those who are still struggling intellectually with the Word of God. There are some people that just go to church and sing. And please, I'm not taking away anything from worshiping God. Worshiping God and singing is, is dear to my heart. Dear to my heart. But we have to encourage each other to daily, not just be in the Word, but sit under teaching that explains the Word of God. The church today is void so much of proper understanding a proper explanation of who Christ is in all his glory. And it shouldn't be. It really shouldn't be. Father, I thank you for the text. I thank you for encouraging my personal heart, Father God. I hope and pray that it encouraged the saints' hearts here at Sonship today, Lord God. As we saw how you genuinely saved the people in their infancy, in their innocence, in their vulnerability, but as the good shepherd, you would not leave them in that shape. And you sent them true shepherds after your own heart who expound to them the mysteries of Christ to the point that this church became so strong that it was known for its own teachers and prophets and able to send out missionaries to the known world of their time, Father God, to feed the world Christ. I pray that we can just touch upon that here at Sonship, Father God, that we can just expound on the marvelous work and person of Christ his work at High Priest and Second Coming, Father God, that we can just totally be lost. We can totally be absorbed in our Savior's love and everything He has done for us, Father God. I'm praying for everybody here in this room today. I'm praying for anybody who can hear my voice later on, Father God, that we be carried off into the teachings of Christ. And I pray, Father God, that just like the saints at Antioch were first called Christians, I pray that people can recognize that we are different in manner, in attitude, in thought, in word, in action, that our mannerisms are different, our speech is different, that we're not reactionary human beings, but we're thought-provoking human beings who know the mysteries of Christ, Father God. And I pray, Father God, that you stop chipping away at our emotional reactionism where we're just so fast to react in the negative, Lord God, because our minds are still not renewed, and we're still tossed to and fro by every wind and wave of doctrine, tossed to and fro by every negative emotion, tossed to and fro by every fear that comes against us, Father God. Strengthen us, God. Make us formidable. Let us be living sacrifices, Father God. Let us grow to the full, mature stature which is found in Jesus Christ, Please, Father God, remove the childish ways from us in Jesus' name.